Welcome in Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. JJ Derez, Arif Dean here to break down more avalanche hockey for you as the season progresses. Arif, you just came back from the two-game little road trip that you went on, uh, both Seattle and Vancouver. So how are you? Tell us about those trips. How, how did you enjoy them? Honestly, they were great. It was it was a great time. I I love going to games in Canadian cities because there's a ton of passion there. Um, and I mean, Vancouver, no better time to go than right now. I I got to morning skate about half an hour early on that Friday, and a couple of the other Avalanche reporters walked out of the press conference with Bruce Boudreau, and then I saw Boudreau walking down the hallway the other way. That was the press conference where he was almost almost about to start crying, getting emotional over what was going on. And then, you know, hearing during the game, the avalanche were up three to one late in the third period and the Bruce Boudreaux chance started the Bruce. There it is chance. And just a lot of passion, a lot of emotion, a lot of things going on to the point where I was lined up to be on a Vancouver radio show. And I was also lined up to have a Canucks reporter on our show. And both of those two different people canceled because they're like, we are not interested in talking anything about the avalanche right now. We've got our own things going on. So uh, that's how much passion was in Vancouver. And then Seattle, obviously a newer hockey city, uh, but a beautiful arena. They got the two jumbotrons, just a very uh, new design, newly designed arena with the old roof that they've had there for forever. Um Really cool down there to see uh, like the hallways that they have under the rink. And then really cool to see Jonas Donskoy. He came over to the Avalanche side after the game. He's been injured for most of the season, actually for all the season. Uh, he came over to the Avalanche side and said hi to a couple people. And then him and Miko Ranton and went a little crazy when they saw each other. So uh, all in all, great trip. The Avalanche played great uh, and they are rocking and rolling. Two things. I want to get I want to get to two more conversations before we get into the Avs itself. One is the Bruce Boudreaux situation and just you being there for it. I mean, what kind of things did you notice, A, with, I guess, the energy it brought to the city? Because Vancouver, very big hockey town, a lot of hockey fans there. And with the media, how did you notice, I guess, the differences between how you would think Avalanche media would handle a situation like that and how the Vancouver media was navigating their way through it? So I'll start with that second question first. The differences is hard to say because I don't think we have ever had a situation like that here. That was like, and look, the reality is in, in Canada, especially with these bigger cities, and there are some American cities that are like this as well. I'm not, you know, saying it's specifically a Canadian thing, but in Canada, when, when things like this happen, they are always going to be magnified a lot more because they care about their hockey a lot more. It's, I mean, look at, look at the Broncos situation going on right now. With their coaching search, with the QB there, with the amount of money they paid him, the amount of madness and craziness you're seeing in the way that that's being covered is kind of magnified by 100 to see how Bruce Boudreaux is being covered in Canada and Vancouver. So that's number one. Number two, um, I think for the, you know, for the first question, the atmosphere and all that around or just around the entire situation, what I love about going into something like that is... And this, again, I'm trying to make this not sound like I'm taking a knock on the Avalanche or any other fan base, but the awareness of the 18, 19, 20,000 people at Rogers Arena to know what's going on, to be very well aware of the Rick Tockett hiring, uh, of the way Bruce Boudreaux has been handled, the comments made by the general manager. There wasn't a fair weather fan in that building. There wasn't a single person there that wasn't aware, and obviously I'm generalizing, but that wasn't aware of what was going on, how Bruce was being uh, 
uh, treated by the organization, which was pretty poorly. Uh, the fact that Rick Tockett had basically been hired and it had been out there for a couple of weeks and the Canucks kind of just let Bruce, you know, continue to coach and circle Jeff the Merrick, drain is what I like to say. Pretty much. I, I think Jeff Merrick used the best phrase to describe how they, how they've been treating, uh, Bruce Boudreau, and he did it on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday. He said, Bruce Boudreau has had a slow walk to the electric chair. And it is such a, like, it's such a dark thing to say, but it's ultimately how it was handled. Uh, so there wasn't a single Fairweather fan in that building. Tyler Myers had those comments after the game. I'm not sure if you read them where he said that the outside noise is absolutely affecting us and how we play. And it's something he's never seen in his career. And this is a guy that played in Winnipeg. This is a guy that, you know, played in Buffalo, which is one of the bigger U.S. markets when it comes to pressure and, and media and, and, and being magnified. So it was just by far one of the more fascinating things to be involved in to the point where, like, it was actually surreal to be there because I'm walking to the rink for morning skate. You know, the avalanche were taking the ice at 1130. I'm walking in at 11 o'clock a little bit early and I'm reading tweets from big shot reporters saying, you know, this is what's happening with Bruce Boudreaux and this is what's happening at Morning Skate. And as I'm reading it, it suddenly clicked in my head. I'm like, this is happening right in front of me. Like, this isn't in another city and I'm in Denver reading about this. Like, I'm walking into this. And then I walked in and I saw Bruce Boudreaux go one way. And then I saw a couple of Avs reporters meet with me and be like, Oof, you missed out on a hell of an emotional uh, press conference there with Bruce. Yeah, pretty wild. I mean, that was kind of the attention of the entire hockey world, right? And you yeah. just happened to be in the middle of it. So that, that was pretty cool. My other question for you is looking at the Seattle game and just the Seattle experience, right? I, I think my biggest question, I know that they have a really good fan base, very patient fan base after what they were, uh, what they went through last year. What are you noticing about the fan base in Seattle now after seeing a home game there? It's very new and very raw. Uh, I think... It's, it's hard to really gauge a comparison to Vegas for two reasons. Number one, and not that you asked, but like number one, I've never been to Vegas for a game yet. And uh, number two, Vegas was so good so fast that it was easy for people to jump on right away and learn the ropes. But in Seattle, I heard this from local reporters there and I noticed it myself is a lot of people are new to the game. They don't chant during the game. They walk. It's kind of like in Europe. They they watch intently during game action to figure out what's going on during one of the intermissions. And I'm not knocking any of this. Like this is how you build a hockey town in a town that's not had a hockey team in like a hundred years or whatever it's been for the crack for for Seattle. Uh, but during one of the intermissions, they had a like a lesson thing halfway through the intermission where they were like talking about icing. I think at one point, like, you know, this is what an icing is when a player does this and you skate back and you do this and do that. And I think that's really cool because that's how you build a fan base. This is a town that has the Mariners, a town that has the Seahawks. Uh, they're trying to get an NBA team trying to bring back the supersonics or whatever they want to name it. If they, if they get a team, but it starts with, you know, this is how you build a hockey town. And, it's by no means a huge hockey town. You don't see a lot of jerseys around town, but it's something that, again, they're a year and a half into this. It's very raw. And, uh, you know, if you've read the same reports that I've had from bigger reporters, they've, they'll tell you that Seattle is one of the higher revenue producing towns uh, in, in the NHL right now. And ultimately, that's because of jersey sales and things like that. It's not because of that local homegrown fan base yet. That's growing, but it's the logo. It's the sales that you're seeing with, with, with the jerseys and with the t-shirts because every team lost a favorite player and everybody seems to love that logo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fun stuff, I guess. Uh, Two completely different cities. I'll tell you that. Yeah. We're sure. 
the yeah. the 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 mere difference there in in fan bases is crazy right now. But right. Seattle obviously is growing. Especially how you brought up how engaged Vancouver was in current situations and how Seattle's still kind of trying to learn the game. I mean, very polar opposites there. Um, you know, perhaps we could use um, a hockey lesson in the uh, abs press box. Hey, yo, um, <laughs> let's uh, get to the avalanche. The win streak continues, Arif, and and I think the Vancouver game avalanche looked like the avalanche i think it's still a little frustrating that they're having a tough time with the seattle kraken but hey a, a victory is a victory and keeping the win streak alive um is all you can ask for right now but only one goal in that seattle game so um which game do you want to start with breaking down the vancouver game or seattle or do you want to just blanket them both together we can blanket them both together starting mostly with the seattle game uh and I'm not going to use the term frustrating at all because that was the third game in four nights and a back-to-back on a three-game road trip. I have zero issues with the Avalanche needing a shootout and only getting one goal on Seattle. Zero issues because what they did in Calgary and what they did in Vancouver proves that this team has got it. They've figured it out, and that's coming after two blowout games against the Red Wings and the Sens. Uh, but the Vancouver and Calgary game says to me they've got it. they figured it out. The Seattle game was... Third and fourth nights, second leg of a back-to-back, a lot of travel. Let's please, oh, please get this damn victory. Go home, have Monday off, and play Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, you and I on our last podcast almost a week ago already, we said, hey, if you just get two of these next three wins, it's going to be a victory. They squeaked out with all three. I believe you said if you get two or three would be a victory, and I said, fuck it, get all three, you can do it. Indeed. (laughs) Like, ultimately, they did. Looking at that Seattle game, right, I think the the – you, you don't want to dwell too much on the fact that they only got one goal scored, but I think you do want to dwell on the fact that they only allowed one goal, right? Because when Seattle was going through their tear there in early January, we mentioned it. They were bring, they were putting up four goals, five goals, six goals some nights. So not saying that Seattle is one of the most dangerous offenses out there, but you were able to heed what other teams they weren't are. able to. <laughs> they are. Right now they are. And, and I don't think dwell is the right word. I get what you were getting at there. But yeah, you don't want to dwell on the fact that they didn't score more than one but you do want to kind of magnify the fact that they only allowed one and right yeah like seattle right now if you look around the nhl and i know you know there's some goals per games played numbers in there but they've got 166 goals that's fifth in the nhl and put it this way they've got one goal fewer than dallas with two games in hand and they've got three goals more than Seattle or sorry, more than Tampa. And they've only played one more game than Tampa. So like, that's how good they are right now. They're fifth in the NHL. The avalanche are way down, you know, closer to the bottom. They're around the 15 to 20 mark. So whatever they were doing has been working. Whatever the avalanche did to shut them down worked as well. Uh, the biggest thing that I noticed from the abs in that game, well, actually from both teams to, 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 you know, put it lightly. And, and for the Avalanche, this is a good thing because Seattle was in the driver's seat. They're the home team. They've had a good record at home. Uh, I believe the Kraken, well, they haven't had the best record at home. They've been better on the road. I lied. But they, you know, entered the game seven, two, seven and two in their last nine, and they were really on a tear. And the Avalanche came in on the end of a back-to-back, once again, thinking they were going to have Kale McCarr, which it took us 11 minutes to mention that Kale McCarr did not play this entire friggin' three-game road trip, and they came away with six points. Um once again, thinking you were going to have Kale, second of a back-to-back, third and fourth, third and four nights on the road. Seattle was in the driver's seat, but what I noticed from both teams is, number one, a lot of pace. That was a really high-flying game in terms of pace. Both teams were skating, which is good for the Avs on a back-to-back. Both teams had a ton of good looks, 
but both teams were flopping when they got those good looks. It was really strange. Whiffed pucks, missing, missing open nets, unable to get the puck to trickle in, you know, shout out Ben Myers, just a lot of opportunities wasted. But for the avalanche, it's a good thing because it was a second of a back-to-back for Seattle. Uh, there was a little bit of concern there. I think for, uh, and we can go all the way back to Calgary too, because we haven't really talked about it. it. It's nice to see the guys that are putting goals up, right? Of course, Miko Rantanen still buried. And I think he's had three in the last three games, so n- nothing different there. But seeing a guy like Cogliano put one in, Brad Hunt, Alex yep. Newhook, Val Nachushkin, you're having the variety of goal scorers come back. And I mean, I, I think in all honesty, yeah, Kale McCarr's huge, but nothing's more important than having scoring up and down the lineup. So, uh, I mean, that's a, a great way to continue to, to play well while missing your best defender. I mean, yeah, the, the, the goal scoring has been there, and we'll see how long they can keep it up because that's exactly the recipe they need to win these games. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. And that's, that's, that's what you want to see from this Avalanche team. And I'm going to show you kind of just an idea. Over this five-game winning streak, the only players that have not recorded a single point in these five games, Ben Myers, Anton Bleed, Curtis McDermott, Eric Johnson. EJ, five games, McDermott, five games, Ben Myers, five games, Anton Bleed, four. I purposely skipped Sampo Ranta and Martin Kau because they've each played one. But if you include them, those are the only guys to not record a point. Wow. Andreas Englund had an assist. Jacob McDonald had an assist. Sam Gerrard had two assists. Logan O'Connor, two assists. And then you go up the lineup. Brad Hunt, two goals in five games. Shout out to that guy. Yeah. Evan Rodriguez, four <laughs> assists. Kale McCarr, four points in two games. Devon Taves, five assists in five games. And he's been the number one defender for the last three. JT Comfer, point per game. Alex Newhook, three goals, two assists. Point per game over five games. Arturi Lekkinen, five goals, seven points in five games. Miko Rantanen, same thing. Five goals, seven points in five games. And of course, Nathan McKinnon, two goals, eight assists, 10 points. He's on fire. Everybody is pitching in right now. If you look at that, you realize that Ben Myers and Anton Bleed during these, again, I'm leaving out Cow and Ranta because the Avalanche changed their lineup. But Myers and uh, Bleed have been the 10-11 forward because they've been going 11-7. and So the Avalanche have had three solid lines. And then Anton Bleed and Ben Myers on that third, on that fourth line, kind of double shifting with other guys. Those are your only forwards to not put up points. Those three solid lines that the Avalanche have had, every single person has had a point during these five games. And then Eric Johnson, obviously, he's not there to put up points. You would have liked to see him get at least one, but that's fine. And then Curtis McDermott, your number six slash number seven defenseman, also totally fine. So it's coming from everywhere, and that's the biggest thing. No Darren Helm, no Dennis Malgin, which we always forget about. No, no Gabriel Landeskog, no Bo Byram, no Josh Manson, and you're getting points from three solid lines over five games. And no Kale McCarr, right? I think that's and another. Yes, that one. Uh, that's another big testament to how good the defensive group has been playing. Without Kale McCarr, without Josh Manson, without Bowen Byram, you have half of your unit there, and you're still only allowing one goal a game here in the last three games. I mean, that's fascinating stuff. Um, but also credit to the goaltending, right? Alexander Georgiev kind of resurrecting his recent play. Pavel Francouz maintaining consistent play and just playing really good hockey right now. Uh, I mean, the goaltending is back. You heard Daryl Suter even say, hey, this might be the – no, he said this is the best one-two punch in the yeah. league as far as goaltending. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, again, it, the, all the pieces seem to be coming together at the exact same time, the pieces that we were kind of missing, right? You could add the power play into that too. So, um, yeah, get into the goaltending. Good to see Georgiev 
get things back on track and good to see Francis maintain his, his good play as of late. Yeah. Daryl Sutter's comments were great because it kind of, it goes to talk, it goes to show just how important it is to have that tandem goalie. Um, remember when you and I, we did that prediction or not the prediction. We did that ranking back in the off season of central division goaltending. And you were talking about how you are better off having a tandem. And I was talking about how Nashville probably has the best goaltending or Dallas because of Odinger or Soros. Obviously, I would agree more with what you said than what I said, because with somebody like Ottinger and Soros, as soon as A, there's an injury or B, one of those guys has a rough go to the season, you're fucked. <laughs> like, that's the reality. Thatcher Demko has been injured all year. Vancouver right away went from one of the best goaltending in the NHL to Spencer Martin's your starter. <laughs> uh, Calgary is another example of that. And that's why Daryl Sutter makes those comments. Jacob Markstrom was what second or maybe third in the Vezina trophy voting last year. It went, uh, who ended up winning the Vezina? Why am I blanking last year? Yeah. Just Shesterkin. Yeah. Thank you. Shesterkin won the Vezina sorrows and Markstrom were the finalists. I think Markstrom was second in voting, but the reason why Daryl Sutter talks about the avalanche having the best tandem is because as soon as Markstrom starts the season poorly and has had a poor season, you're, you're screwed. You don't have Pavel Francouz to throw in there. You have Dan Vladar that has been playing better than Markstrom, but not to the level of a goalie that you know could win you four straight games in the Western Conference Final against a strong Edmonton team. So Daryl Sutter is looking at the Avalanche saying their backup goalie swept the team that beat us in five and dominated us in the playoffs. My backup goalie and my starting goalie are struggling and look where we are in the standings because of it. So it it is it is a huge, like, a big praise from from Sutter, but there there's a lot of merit to it, man. Having Frankie makes the world of difference for this team, and it's wild because I would I wouldn't necessarily say that one is better than the other right now, right? I think they're both playing good hockey. They both have different strengths to them that you see at different moments. But Pavel Francouz, um, I I can't quite put my finger on what's making him play so well. I mean, I know he's a good goalie, and I know he just has a a, a very I don't know positive energy about him that might be contagious to the to the team in front of him but I, I mean only allowing four goals in his last three games and that's after coming off an injury um i'm really impressed by what he's done I, I think he was able to bounce back faster than i anticipated and um again i'm i'm waiting for a moment of his where you're like what the hell you know but we haven't seen that all all, all season long we haven't had a bad game out of francis i don't think and um yeah the way he's playing is just so consistent and so reliable and I, i'm honestly shocked by it yeah, and he's a 920 goalie, and Georgie's a 917 right now. Uh, I remember Frankie started the season with three losses. It but was, they weren't bad. Yeah, so it was the Calgary game, second game of the season. That one was a wash. It was a Seattle game that they lost three to two. Uh, I think it was a last minute. There was a turnover, I want to say. I, I vaguely remember that game. Um, and then it was the one to nothing shootout loss to the New Jersey Devils. One to nothing. Since then, he's played 10 games and he's three and oh, or sorry, and he's seven and three. So he's been on fire. He's been really, really well. He's won his last three starts, obviously. Of these five games, he's played three. Um, so he's been playing really well. What I've noticed the big thing with the Avalanche right now is they're playing great defensively as a unit. And, and that's the most important thing. Like there was a stretch there where they needed a goalie to steal games and Georgie was stealing games. And then that started to fade. And that stretch turned from Georgie stealing games to, Georgie's letting in a lot of goals, is playing 12 straight games and is struggling. But ever since this winning streak started, 
Georgius played two games against Calgary. He faced 35 shots and you can argue, yes, he did pretty damn well to steal that game, but also the avalanche had a three, nothing lead in the first period. So, you know, it's pretty good, but against Vancouver, Georgie faced 29 shots. And in the three games that Pavel Francouz played Ottawa, 29 shots, Detroit, 29 shots, Seattle, 27. And that one was a 65 minute game on a, on the end of a back-to-back against a team that shoots a lot. So, Defensively as a whole, the team isn't playing well. It's inflating the goalies numbers, but the goalies are standing tall and that's what you want to see. They've surrendered five goals over these last five games and three of them came against the Red Wings where you had a five nothing lead and then took your foot off the pedal. Garbage time goals. They don't matter. But five goals in five games is pretty goddamn good for this team right now, especially for one that was struggling to score and now has 21 or 22 goals, I believe, in the last five games. And for a team or sorry, 22 goals plus a shootout. So 23 if you include the shootout goal and um, was also letting in a lot of goals. You know, they were surrendering five goals in one game and now you've got five over the last five is pretty dang good for this team. Shot suppression. And I feel like Bingo. that's getting back to the team of old, right? The, the, even going back to when Grubauer was still in that, that was their MO. They, they would not allow very many shots, not allow dangerous shots, and then let the offense take care of itself. All the more amazing to do while only having a half of your starting defensive core. So, um, but yeah, it just looks like they got back to what worked for them. They, they maybe took a step back and said, all right, guys, let's, let's take a deep breath, regroup here and get back to what we used to do well, which is, protecting the defensive end, protecting dangerous shots and protecting our goalies and then allowing our speed, allowing our skill to take over on the offensive end. So, um, yeah, they just got to keep keep on this track. It feels like they've figured some stuff out. feels like they're really uh, gaining some momentum and ready to make a big run as they just this past week jumped the Calgary Flames for that final wildcard spot. But one thing uh, you forgot to bring up there that you texted me about after the shootout win was Pavel Francouz's record mm-hmm. in shootouts. Yep. He's 4-0 in his career, which is not a lot of games, but he's 4-0. He has faced 12 shooters, and every single one of them has been stopped. That's Amazing. pretty damn good. 12 for 12 in shots against, 4 for 4 in games that he's won. And he does it with so much confidence. Two poke checks? Two yeah. poke checks where he was following play the entire time? One of the Avalanche reporters asked him after the game, uh, because you know, we were all you know in, in awe of Nathan McKinnon's move. Because when does McKinnon ever go five hole on a shoot? Oh my god, that move was unreal yeah. too. The patience, and he just yep. waited it and said, Oh, there's my hole. Whoop. Did you not think that was going to be at, like every other McKinnon shootout where it's like stick handle, stick handle, stick handle, stick handle? Oh, do, dipsy doodle, backhand, forehand, try glove to go side glove, high, miss glove side, hide, miss the net, or <laughs> right into a glove. Yeah, and Eric Johnson said the same thing. When do you ever see McKinnon go glove? He always goes, or when do you ever see McKinnon go five hole? He always goes high glove. Like everybody was very aware of it. Uh, Eric Johnson also, he he had a good quote in there that I asked him about, you know, with facing Grubauer where it was, you know, McKinnon's got a bag of tricks and Grubauer knows the team. So McKinnon had to pull out a new move out of his bag of tricks because if he goes, I mean, even Grubauer was like, yeah, he's going to do glove high. And he didn't go glove high at the end. He went five hole. And that's why Grubauer kind of like slid around, looked behind him, was like, holy shit, what just happened? Uh, but anyway, back to Frankie, one of the avalanche reporters asked him like, you know, a little bit jokingly, but like, what would you have done if, if McKinnon tried that move against you, would you have stopped it? And Frankie kind of chuckles and goes, I would have poke checked it. <laughs> so like, that's the confidence this dude has. He's so like, like ice in his veins. He didn't let a single shooter there. Uh, 
and you know, granted the shooters weren't big names outside of Jordan Everly, but he didn't let a single one of those Seattle shooters get to him. He follows the puck so well. And then when he's got an opportunity to poke, he's going to go for it. They had like zero chance of scoring any of those three shots. It's, it's funny that you say Francis is confident because he is, he is, but it's the most humble confidence I think I've ever seen out of anyone. Right. He, he, uh, it, it's hard to explain, but just a very genuine, I don't know, just very warm energy that comes out of Pavel Francouz. And it's, it's just good to see him experience success like that. Was it, was it the Ottawa game or the Detroit game? I think it was the Ottawa game when he got the seven, nothing shutout. He said, we just got to go back to having fun. Yep. Playing hockey is fun. And we got to remember that it's just fun. <laughs> like that, that's how he is. That's how he's always been winning streak, losing streak. The guy's just out there to have fun and play that game. He likes. Yeah, exactly. Um, speaking of fun, everybody needs to get out there and download the Superbook Sports app, Sportsbook app now to have some fun betting on hockey. There's been some predictable hockey games out there, especially this weekend. So good chances to get some money back from Vegas if you're uh, down in the hole so far in 2023 like I am. But add this to your New Year's resolution. Win money in 2023 with Superbook Sports. Superbook has over three decades of sports wagering experience in Las Vegas. So you'll get the best odds anywhere as we head into the football playoffs. Plus, check out their special odds boost and promotions at Superbook.com. Make 2023 the year where you win money from Vegas. Download the Superbook Sports app now and place your bets. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Since we didn't get our Sunday episode in, we got to double up on ad reads here, guys. But that's okay because we love Total Beverage. It's, it's fun to read there. Um, ad read and it's fun to hear it too right everybody knows total beverage in westminster and thornton right sure total beverage has an incredible selection of beer wine and spirits but did you know they deliver did you know they have curbside pickup available and did you know they do online wine education classes if not it's time to get to know total beverage again stop by on 104th and thornton or on sheridan in westminster and see for yourself or you can always find weekly deals events and even drink recipes online at totalbev.com total beverage everything you need and more um let's see we've got into a lot of of i guess the week that was from the avalanche since it took us a second to record a podcast um let's get into the week that's going to be here right a a nice little homestand before the 10 game break for the all-star game um washington anaheim st louis all very winnable games uh i guess what do you see coming out of of these next three games the washington game is going to be a big one uh, this is a team that similar to the Avalanche is in that wild card race. Uh, although I think really quickly, the Avalanche, just to talk about the standings, are a little bit better than the wild card race right now. They've only played 45 games. They're one point back of Minnesota for third in the central, which I think I've said it before and I'll say it again. The Avalanche aren't going to end up in a wild card spot. They're going to make the playoffs by being in the top three in the central. It's still a very winnable division, like top spot. Uh, hell, winning the Western Conference is still very winnable, to be honest. So that's number one. Um, the Washington game is going to be big because they are like the avalanche. They're in that wild card race, but unlike the avalanche, Washington is the team that's played the most games in that race. So they're, they don't have, they're not in the driver's seat the way the abs are. Uh, the abs would be more comparable to the pens who have games in hand on other teams. So that's a game that you're going to want to win because Washington is going to be desperate. They just got shut out and, uh, it came in a game where, uh, Alex Ovechkin was a last minute scratch. He's only missed 50 something games in his career and he was scratched because of an injury. So 
I don't know what the situation is with Ovi. I do know that Colorado, outside of Seattle and Vegas, the two expansions, Colorado is tied for the team that he scored the least amount of goals against. So that's good. And this is a guy that has 800 plus in his career. Uh, so that's going to be a big one. Darcy Kemper and Abe Kubel are going to make their returns here to Denver. So that's going to be huge for them as well. Um, Anaheim, no excuse, no word, no nothing. You got to win that game and you got to win it in regulation. They are 13, 29 and five in, in like on the season. They're a minus 86 goal differential. They're five, 16 and four on the road. And this is going to be a game at ball arena. And they've got five regulation wins in 47 games, like brutally bad numbers. Uh, and then St. Louis, that's a game against a team that's chasing you in the standings. They are very far behind because the Avs are four points ahead and have two games in hand. But that's a game you got to win as well. You've lost to them already this season and you can't lose to them again. So three, like you said, very winnable games. You can potentially go into this break where you have 10, 11 days off for the all-star break plus bye week with an eight game winning streak after the horrendous loss that was against the Chicago Blackhawks where panic started to set in. Very winnable games and games that, to be honest with you, they should win. Uh, looking at Darcy Kemper, uh, you know, you just kind of brought up Philip Grubauer and his familiarity with the team. Obviously, Darcy Kemper has his own familiarity with the Avalanche. We've already seen them play each other once this year. The Avalanche took the victory there, so nothing to worry about. But we've seen Darcy Kemper pile on shutouts this season. Yeah. And so I think there's a balance between saying, okay, we know Darcy Kemper's familiar with the team, but I don't think that really gives him much of advantage. If anything, it gives the team an advantage because they know exactly how to manipulate him and, and expose Bingo. his his weaknesses. Goes both but, ways. Right. But I think you do have to keep in mind that Washington has figured out something defensively. Washington, you know, uh, uh, credit to Darcy Kemper for the, sh for the shutouts, but that's a team shutout usually. I mean, all shutouts are. So I, I there's a little bit of worry in my heart that they have a defensive structure that's dangerous right now. But at the same time, I'm not worried about the Avalanche facing Dar Darcy Kemper and knowing how to expose him. Yeah, I mean, in the last game, the Avalanche and the Capitals played, there was a shutout, but, but it was for Georgiev. He shut out Kemper in that battle. I think the Avs went into Washington and won four to nothing earlier this season. Um, the Capitals, in that last game they played on Saturday night, they got shut out by the Vegas Golden Knights. Again, Ovechkin was injured late, but Kemper only played 32 minutes before getting pulled. He faced 18 shots and let in four goals. So that game, they didn't have the, the like the defensive capabilities that they had in previous games. But they were kind of bad to start the season. They they were bad, and then they got really really hot, and now they've kind of struggled again because they went on a little bit of a run there, and I believe now in their last ten, they're four five and one. So there's been some struggles there. The fact of the matter is, that's a wash. When you look at it in the standings, it's a complete wash because the Avalanche have lost games to the Flyers, they've lost games to the Canucks, they've lost they've lost twice to the frigging Canucks. They're one and two against that team that's just had drama all season they've lost to the coyotes they've lost to the blackhawks so they've lost some very winnable games that are to be honest with you a little embarrassing but mm -hmm. that part of it is a wash but at the same time given how the abs are playing right now the foot on the pedal mentality they have the amount of shots that they're putting up the defensive game that they're playing darcy kemper should not be an issue for them but don't take him lightly because this is a guy that can get you a shout out on any given night that can steal a game on any given night, but you can't let him get to that, to that, you know, place. Like right now he's a nine seventeen on the season. I believe he was a nine 20 before that Vegas game. So he's had a hell of a year, despite the fact that he's 
faced a lot of shots. He's faced 900 shots in 31 games. So he's facing around 30 per game. He's stolen a lot of games for the Capitals, and he can very well do it at Ball Arena as well. So if you're the Avalanche, the same game you've had the last five, you got to do it with the Caps because they have a goalie that's capable of doing exactly what your goalie has done to other teams in the past. I know the Avalanche have a practice starting here in about an hour and a half, and we'll get updates after that. But your prediction, does Kale McCarr make his way back for this little homestand? I think so. I think he'll play. Uh, against, Seattle, against Vancouver in the first game, he took morning skate, and then the team told us he's not going to play, so he won't be available. And when Jared was asked about Makar's status, uh, somebody asked him, like, can he play Saturday against the Canucks? And Jared's like, kind of smiled and was like, well, he skated today, so that should tell you. Basically, yes. And then against Seattle, the the roster sheet came out because he was on the ice for morning for pregame warm-ups. Uh, they didn't have a morning skate, but he was on the ice for warmups and he was listed as a player and England was listed as a scratch. And then the game started and Makar was listed as a scratch and England was listed as a, as a player. So uh, it seems like during the morning skate or sorry, the pregame warmup, he took the ice and was just kind of like, eh, I'm not entirely there yet. Let's not risk it. This team can win without me. That's kind of the way that I saw it. And this goes back, JJ, to the conversation we've had the entire freaking season. If the Avalanche were in the middle of a losing drought, if the Avalanche were not winning games, Kale probably says, I got to play this game, even though I'm a little hurt. But because the team was looser, they were on a four game winning streak and they had the confidence of saying, no, Kale, no problem. We can win our third straight without him all on a road trip, all in four nights, second of a back to back. Kale was able to decide him, the doctors, the team, let's not rush myself in. Let me sit. England can do the job. The Avs can win this game. And they did. With that same thought process, I think you can almost say that they could probably do that for the next three games, give him the all-star break, and suddenly, boom, he's got almost a three-week rest there. But three very winnable games, like we said, you want to have Kale McCarr and try to squeak out three more wins before this all-star break and then really put your place in a great put your spot in a great place um, for the standings heading into the break, and then you can come out of it flying because you have a road trip yeah. coming out of the All-Star game. So Florida, you, Pittsburgh, and Tampa. Exactly. So you want to you kind of make the best of these next three games and do everything you can to, to squeak out three wins. And you know Jared Bednar has that same mindset going. Yeah, I'm very confident to say that if Kale plays any of these three games, Tuesday, Thursday, or Saturday, it's because he's 100% healthy. Because these are very winnable games, because they're not must-wins right now, because the Avs are feeling good and because that All-Star break's coming – they're, they would be silly, and I have full confidence that they would not rush him back. If he plays, it's because there's no reason for him to sit. Right on, right on. Uh, last piece of news I want to get to for today, Arif, and we started the conversation today with the coaching situation in Vancouver. We're going to end the conversation today with the coaching situation in Vancouver. Adam Foote, out of nowhere for me, I did not see this coming, but gets selected as an assistant coach for uh, Rick Tockett's coaching team there in Vancouver. Um, I think it's a great fit. I didn't really see him being um, in a love with the broadcasting position, right? Yeah. I think he did a great job. I mean, his um, knowledge on the game and, and his analysis is second to none, but um, he obviously has a, a better role as a coach and, and really being closer to the game, more hands-on, being able to make a direct impact on the game. Yeah. Uh, I've had two... I've had two or three run-ins with Adam since he jumped in. And for those that watch Altitude, you've noticed that Adam Foote, Pierre Le uh, Eric Lacroix, and uh, John, not John Michael Lyles, who's the other one? Jeez, Mark Rycroft. They've all elevated themselves into bigger roles with the team's broadcast since the passing of Peter McNabb. And 
with Adam Foote, I've had a few run-ins with him. And one of them, we were talking during the intermission and I kind of asked him like, what led you back? You know, what led you to this position, like back with the team and back with this position? He talked about how he coached, you know, the Kelowna Rockets for a while when Nolan and Cal, his two sons were playing there, how he, you know, had a development role with the Avalanche at one point. He's been back and forth and around. And then he mentioned like, my kids are grown up now. I want to be back in the game and, and, you know, I want to be around hockey and I love being here and you know, that basically says to me foot was looking for more, looking for more of a purpose and what better purpose than being behind a bench assistant coach, head coach doesn't matter. He's going to be in the everyday grind of the Vancouver Canucks, um, traveling with the team and, and really trying to put a footprint on <laughs> no pun intended <laughs> uh, on that team because they need it. And he is one of the best you know, people to have around a team like that, that is lacking a, a, a physical punch, a personality, like what better guy to have than him, than Rick Tockett. Like these are big names to have behind the bench. Granted, Rick Tockett is not the best X's and O's coach. He will hype you up. So Adam Foote will help with that. He'll also help with the defensive ability. Sergey Gonchar is going to be a defensive development coach as well. And that's a guy that had a long, successful NHL career as well. So they're starting to build something good there. And, you know, congrats to Adam Foote. Uh, shout out to him. It's a big role for him. Uh, but also when the Avalanche hosted the Maple Leafs on New Year's Eve, I think I told you about this. There's a, there's a radio show in Canada, Sportsnet's uh, Justin Bourne and Nick Kiprios, former NHL and Nick Kiprios. They have a show where... I was looking to be a guest on that show to talk about the abs and leaves, but they ended up going with Adam foot. He was available. And they obviously, I mean, I'm not stupid. I would go with Adam foot over me too. And uh, he was talking about the avalanche lacking a second line center. And he said, I, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this game's right. This pronounce this guy's name, right from Vancouver, Bo Hovarth or something like that. <laughs> and uh, well, now Bo Hovarth is his top line or second line center. He's going to need to learn that name, but probably for like five or six weeks before he gets traded. So congratulations to Adam Foote. This is a big job for him. This is a big deal for him. And I, I can see him very well being a head coach if this goes well. Yeah, I think one thing's for certain with that team is they're going to have an emphasis on physicality and an emphasis on defense for sure. Um, I'm curious to see how Adam Foote's coaching style may have evolved with the way defensemen have evolved i'm sure watching kale mccarr the last couple of years even being an abs developmental coach back a couple of years ago is going to help him kind of see how firsthand the uh the, the position has changed but yeah i'm curious to see how his coaching is going to adapt because obviously the game's a lot different than when he was running things yeah like don't don't discount the like the amount of things this guy has learned i'm struggling my words here like how much he's learned the last two three four months of watching the avalanche even though there's been injuries he's had a chance to watch a little bit not much of bo byram uh a lot of kill mccarr a lot of sam gerard a lot of devon taves those are not big physical guys they don't play the game adam foot played uh josh manson you and i have talked about it is probably the closest thing to adam foot this team has right now but he's been injured for a while too. So there's a lot of things here and, and he's going into a team that has Quinn Hughes as their number one guy. So there's a lot of things that he's learned that he's going to need to evolve and change. And it's the same for Rick Tockett. Rick Tockett's not going to go in there and expect JT Miller to play the game. Rick Tockett played to play the game. Brendan Shanahan played similar style. He's going to go in there and try to elevate the players that they have to be the best versions of themselves. And you know, damn well, Adam Foote's going to do the same thing with the D. Yep. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so, yeah, three home games coming up this week. Going to be fun. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Saturday's a one o'clock game. You know, I yeah, love that. Love um, those. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we'll see how the Avalanche do here. Big 
chance to uh, keep climbing the standings and keep tacking on wins before the All-Star break. I guess here's a good time, Arif. I haven't brought this up at all in the nine months that have passed, but there's a good chance that St. Louis is my last game for a while. I'm expecting my firstborn baby at any point in the next couple weeks, and the due date is the 14th, so the Avalanche won't really be playing at home again for a while. So, um, yeah, figured I'd announce that to my listeners. So when I do disappear for a little bit, you guys know why, and it's not a surprise. Like, hey, this JJ guy's lazy. No, I'm learning <laughs> a new life and figuring out how to be a dad. A lot like Jacob McDonald, a lot like Devon Taves, right? Sounds like we were all getting busy around <laughs> the same time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, you planned it well. It's going to be right around that time of that bye week, and if your girlfriend is uh... – gives birth anywhere earlier than that due date. It will be during the bye week and during the all-star break. A um, couple things. February 14th is actually the day of the next avalanche home game after these three. So right. uh, that'll be against the Tampa Bay lightning. So that'll be a big one. It would, you know, it'd be unfortunate to not have you there just because of the memories we had last year, but obviously a very, very good excuse for why you won't be there. Um, but we'll end with this. Uh, Let's see if you're as big a nerd as I am. Do you know what Avalanche Legends birthday is February 14th? No, but that's awesome. What who is it? <laughs> Milan Hey Duke. Oh, so sweet. you might have to name your kid Milan. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, here's a great place to stop. Thanks for hanging out with us here on this Monday edition of the podcast. We'll definitely be back a couple more times this week to break down more Avalanche hockey for you. So don't forget our friends at Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. If you made it this far in the podcast, Bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. We out you.